Welcome to Workforce Rx with Futuro Health, where future-focused leaders in education, workforce development, and healthcare explore new innovations and approaches. I'm your host, Vontone Quinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health. Among the many ideas for improving the healthcare system that received a boost during the pandemic is the integration of oral health with primary medical care. This issue came to the fore as public health officials were trying to find ways to increase vaccination rates, and there's a good reason why. There are about 30 million Americans who visit their dentists annually who do not have similar contact with their primary care provider. Here to tell us more about that interesting area of possibility and to discuss other trends in providing care, educating practitioners, and meeting workforce challenges in the profession is Dr. Nader Nadashahi, a dentist and dean of the University of Pacific's Arthur A. Dugoni School of Dentistry. He and I also serve as governor appointees to the California Healthcare Workforce Education and Training Council. Before becoming dean in 2015, he held many teaching and leadership roles at the school in the long tenure there. Dr. Nada Shahi earned a doctorate degree in education and an MBA, both at the University of Pacific and is a fellow of the American College of Dentists, among several other professional societies. He just became chair of the board of the American Dental Education Association. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Mon, and it's a privilege to be here. And more importantly, it's a privilege to get to know you as we do our work on the Health Workforce Education and Training Council here in the great state of California. Absolutely. Well, you know, the concept of interprofessional education in health sciences is a significant trend that will affect the workforce today and in the future. And one of the promises of IPE is that once healthcare professionals begin to work together in a collaborative manner, patient care will improve. I was wondering if you could explain more to our, our listeners about the importance of interprofessional education and how you see that collaboration amongst dentistry and other health specialties. Well, thank you for that question. Um, you know, we tend to be a little more familiar with intra-professional collaboration where we work with providers within our disciplines and patients are coming to us, whether it's uh, mental health, oral health, uh, other professionals. Um, but the concept of intra-professional has been gaining interest, uh, collaborative care, intra-professional education. There are some groups nationally um, that have been working on this. There's the Interprofessional Education Collaborative, and there's, there's other groups that are looking at how through collaborating, learning with and from each other in the different professions, we can actually make an improvement to the health of the public and the individuals that we serve. So this, uh, this idea of interprofessional education is taking hold through all of our disciplines, and dentistry is, is a very important part of that. And as you mentioned in your intro, with the 30 million Americans that will go see the oral healthcare provider, but not see their medical provider. You know, there are issues around diabetes, hypertension. There, there are some other oral cancers, other areas that maybe would be missed. And a patient's life and longevity could, could really be compromised if we're not getting them into the healthcare system. So the more we bring our providers together and put the patient at the center of the conversation and get them the care and the access that they need, I think it's only going to help not only improve healthcare outcomes, but frankly, lower our costs of healthcare delivery throughout the United States. And so, Nadir, before we go uh, further into detail and, and ask your advice on flushing this out, I was wondering what brought you into dentistry and what is the type of person who should consider a career in dentistry? 
Well, so my path going into healthcare started as, as many of our healthcare providers. As I was going through my education, growing up here in California, I went and did my undergraduate education at the University of California, Berkeley. My brother was involved with dentistry and was getting interested in that. So I, I was looking at different parts of uh, healthcare delivery and the combination of the art and science of what we do, the surgical components, just kind of you know, maybe a little bit more on the personal side, I was studying integrative biology and art. So I like doing a lot of sculpture and working with my hands and and this combination of the scientific foundation with the artistic part of what we do as dental surgeons um, really sparked an interest for me in addition to obviously the work that we do to improve the health of the public. So that's you know a little bit of my personal story. Oh, that's a wonderful story. And especially all of us who are listening, thinking about our own children or nieces and nephews and what possible careers there are in the future. Thank you for sharing your path to your career. So let's talk a little bit about oral health. What does that refer to? And how does oral health relate to the overall health and well-being of a person? I mean, you alluded a little bit in your introduction, but I'd love for you to give more examples. Yeah, so oral health is an area that through a lot of the research that's occurring and conversations that are happening at the state, national, and, and international levels, we're talking more about. So oral health really has to do with the health of all of the structures related to the oral cavity, the head and neck area, where we tend to do most of our work. And the importance of that, you know, I like to, to say that the, the mouth is the window to the rest of your body. So there are a lot of areas and illnesses where we can actually see some changes initially with the changes that are happening in the oral tissues, in addition to our ability to, to help diagnose and prevent inflammation. Um, some of the areas of evidence that are really starting to grow and we're seeing more is that the linkages between oral conditions, especially periodontal disease, which gum disease and, and inflammation, to other severe chronic illnesses, including diabetes, including heart disease, uh, stroke. These infections could have an effect on outcomes for diabetics, outcomes for other patients if they're having cancer surgeries or other treatments where poor oral health condition actually decreases the patient's ability to heal appropriately and have the kinds of outcomes we want and maybe have to have more complex procedures. There's even linkages with uh, periodontal disease and risks with uh, preterm delivery for pregnant women as well. So there's, you know, as uh, you know, the connection between the oral and overall health. The joke is sometimes we talk about, oh, I'm going to go see my dentist or I'm going to go see my medical provider. The mouth is part of the body and it's all connected, right? So, and, and the more folks start to think about what that means for their health. If you're taking care of your oral health, you're actually helping reduce your need for more medications when it comes to diabetes or, or potentially having more drastic surgical or other interventions in the rest of your body. Oh, you bring up a point. Most of us think about going to our dentist in a very siloed way. We don't think it connected to the rest of our physical well-being. And I was wondering in the philosophy that you're bringing up, is it being reflected in the way that dentists are, are being trained right now? It is. It's really growing. You know, my role as dean here at the University of Pacific Stagoni School, it's something that we have been putting into the integrated curriculum and growing the medical foundation and the linkages. But at the national level, this is an important discussion as, as well. You know, some other examples of why this is important, if you just want to look at the financial impacts on this country, we have roughly 2 million visits to emergency departments that happen throughout, throughout this country. And 
a lot of those 2 million visits could have been prevented if the individual had seen the oral healthcare provider to prevent the need for them to end up in the ED. And that, if we look at the cost of that, that's estimated to be a little over $1.7 billion. So you think of the expenditures that we have and how we could reduce it by bringing these providers together. We want our students to understand their important role and also the um, relationships they have with other medical providers mental health providers, others in the community, where they can, they can really, again, put the patient at the center, make the right referrals, and also educate our colleagues who, who may be PAs or nurses or physicians or in other disciplines when they identify an oral health condition to then get them into the system where we could help the patients as well. I was wondering if you could share what are the challenges and opportunities in the dental professions right now? I'm sure there's a number of areas where there are shortages. As the population in the United States and the population in California continues to, to grow, some of the challenges we have are being able to provide equitable access to healthcare and oral healthcare specifically to the different communities, especially in the rural areas and rural communities um, where there isn't as high of an availability of providers. That's, that's one area. The other area is um, within the profession, we have uh, challenges with having the right number of providers. So dental assistance being available to, to enhance the care that we provide, um, dental hygienists at the right level of training. We have a shortage in practitioners that are available to be able to serve the need. So we do have some workforce issues. We're looking at ways of addressing that through expanding opportunities for education, looking at different models. But there are some uh, core issues that we're dealing with. And we're, you know, we're looking at some innovative models as a school and as a university to help address that and bring folks together. And I know others that I collaborate with on the national level, whether it's um, through the American Dental Education Association or another group I'm privileged to be a member of, the Santa Fe Group, where we're looking at catalyzing changes in oral health care throughout this country. These are, these are models that we want to continue to test and push. I was wondering if you could break down the workforce development issue. Um, you mentioned shortages in dental assistants, hygienists, and, and maybe the dentists themselves. Is it an interest in these occupations that is the sort of the first issue, or is it the capacity of seats and the affordability of these programs? Uh, where do you see the pipeline breaking down? Uh, that's a great question. And as we're starting to see the data, I think it's a combination for some of the programs, like for dental assistant training programs, or, or even for some of the dental hygiene programs, there's some capacity issues there. But there also is the other side, which is the interest, continuing to show why this is such a wonderful and rewarding experience. We just, you know, I have the privilege of welcoming our new students, and we just had our new students start on Saturday. We had our white coat ceremony at the Palace of Fine Arts, and talking to them about the impact that they will have as oral healthcare providers, whether it's a dental hygiene student or a dental student or our international students that are, that are coming in. I think if we have kids from K through 12 start seeing the impact that they can have in healthcare, in all the disciplines, and oral healthcare being one part of that, that will help improve that capacity. And frankly, it'll help to diversify all of our health professions. We know that we need to make our healthcare providers reflect the communities that we serve. And we're not, in many disciplines, including dentistry, we're not there yet. And so the more we can reach out and raise the bar and visibility for the value of the profession and what it can do for you as an individual, what it can do for your family, what it can do for your communities and the impact you can have. I think that'll help us diversify our professions as well. And I wonder, as you're doing this work to establish the value, you know, to bring out into the community the value of the profession, the impact that you can have, uh, you've been also rethinking the pathway that students should take. 
you mentioned some work that you're doing at University of Pacific, but also at the national level. I was wondering if you could share with us what, what are these best practice models that you're working on? So one of the projects that I'm really excited about is the work that we're doing in, in Sacramento when it comes to the interprofessional education and the collaborative care that we talk about. There have been some really nice models in practice where providers are coming together to provide integrated care with the patient at the center coming into one area or going out to the site. We're looking at developing a unique and hope, hopefully a model that will be um, replicated and improved upon throughout the country of bringing these learners together in a collaborative teaching clinic. So we're, we're going to be developing a collaborative teaching clinic where there's a shared electronic health record. We have providers, whether it's medical students, RPA students, our nursing students, dental students, pharmacy students, all coming in together again with the patient at the center and looking at what is that patient's needs and how can we best serve it. And then do some research on that and see, you know, are we able to address the triple aim or quadruple aim that we're talking about with value-based care throughout this country? And I really believe this is going to be the future of how we train our healthcare providers in all of our fields. That sounds like a, a really smart approach to the practicum. When the pandemic had hit, so many providers in all areas of care had to figure out how to deliver some of it via telehealth, telemedicine but also the instruction via the teleformat. I was wondering whether some of those practices were adopted in the dental training area. Yeah, that's a great, great question. And it was, uh, as the pandemic hit, I, you know, there was this, this national weight that went on everybody's shoulders, especially in, in education and healthcare delivery. I'm just so incredibly proud of the folks here at at the Dagoni School at University of Pacific, but nationally, what everyone did to pivot, exactly as you're saying. So the the shift towards delivering more content online, doing student assessments using technology, but also shifting towards telehealth. For about a do dozen years, the teledentistry changes and some of the models that are that are being tested throughout the states grew out of some of the work that was done here through our Pacific Center, which is called the Pacific Center for Equity and Oral Healthcare now. And so the transition into telehealth and being able to provide screenings and and reach out to patients in a way that they felt comfortable with. And then if they needed care to, to be able to bring them into the clinic for care, keep them out of emergency rooms. Even something that maybe you wouldn't think about with orthodontics, our orthodontic department in the residence started shifting towards telehealth appointments because they can continue their treatment without there being a lapse or maybe having some relapse in the movement of the teeth and the smiles that they're developing by using telehealth. And so there were some really creative approaches that were taken for that to get the outreach. And at the national level, the schools were doing the same thing. You know, as you mentioned, I'm chair of the IDEA Board of Directors. When the pandemic hit, I was privileged to serve as chair of our Council of Deans. And the deans in the United States and Canada, we would get together. So I would have meetings every two weeks and we would talk about the challenges that are being faced and how we can support each other. And, and this was a conversation that was happening nationally. And I'm just so incredibly proud of oral health education broadly, what our dental schools, dental hygiene programs, other schools did, as well as or, you know, nursing and PA and medical schools. I mean, ev everyone throughout the disciplines. When Futuro Health, when we talk to our board, you know, what will persist after the pandemic versus uh, revert? Uh, they definitely say that telehealth was, is one of those things that will stay just based on consumer adoption and how consumers have enjoyed it. Do you think teledentistry be will become a permanent part of the fabric of the delivery of oral health? That's a great question. And it's one that the board and all of us should be asking. I think you know, one, I want to say thank you for using the term telehealth because I like using that framing too. I 
kind of with the spirit of integration. If we say telemedicine or teledentistry, we're separating the disciplines, but with telehealth, we're actually bringing everyone together. So I love the fact that you're using that terminology. And I think it will be a part of what we do. Certain things we can do through telehealth with the surgical disciplines like dentistry. When it comes to some of the surgical care, you know, that obviously we need to have in a site, whether it's a remote site or a central site. But diagnosis, uh, a lot of the conversations, post-op discussions, there there is a lot that can be done through telehealth. And I do believe that will remain as part of the training and part of the expectation, frankly, for patients, because they, you know, if we really want to provide equitable access to healthcare, we can't expect patients from rural sites that are that are far away to have to make long trips to come in to receive all of their care. We have to be able to find a way to get out to them in their communities to provide that. So Nadir, you mentioned value-based care. And actually, I would love for you to just explain the concept of value-based care and how the opportunities that you mentioned in terms of being able to use the dental appointment to detect diabetes and heart conditions how does that tie back into the economics of healthcare? Yeah, so um, I give you only the hard questions. You do, and I love it because <laughs> I love to, I, I love uh, talking about this because that's how we can make an impact, right, on our community. So the value based care, if we're looking ultimately at how do we provide the most value, so it's not it's not that there's a procedure or there's that's what's being counted. What we're actually measuring is the health of the patient or the health of the community, however we want to frame it, of that person all the way out to the community. So so with value-based care, are we improving the outcomes of care, those health outcomes? Are we improving the quality of that experience for the patient? And are we able to lower the costs overall of healthcare delivery? And then the fourth, you know, the fourth piece with the kind of the quadruple aim is, are we actually able to improve the quality of the experience for the providers? So through this kind of collaboration, are they more fulfilled? Are they learning more and continuing to grow and become better professionals and better people, right, as they're going through this process? So with this integrated model, we're hoping to be able to show all of those. There's more data coming out now, and some of the insurance companies are even starting to look at this on if you spend... $7 $7 billion on just simple preventive oral health care to reduce inflammation, you can save $70 billion in a large population of patients on downstream diabetes care. So there's, there's some decisions that we can make by real simple preventive work, which is good for the person, but it also makes financial sense, right, in, in what we're doing. So we need, there's more prospective studies that are happening now where we're starting to see that. We're also, you know, in the, in the recent draft of the physician fee schedule that was, that was released nationally, there are more medically necessary dental procedures that are being added in. And the reason why those are there is for those types of procedures, you can actually lower the expenditures on a national level if you're thinking of Medicare or other payers because you're doing the oral health care as part of it and you're not leaving that as a separate. And if somebody doesn't have coverage, they don't, they don't get it. And now, now you're increasing your costs. So you know that's why I think the value-based conversation is so important. One, it's focused on the individual because the goal, you know, our goal in healthcare is to prevent disease before it has any kind of an impact on the quality of life, right, of the individuals that we serve or on the communities that we serve. So if we're really focused on that and the value is the health of the individual, then all of our work goes towards towards that aim. And, and that's, I think, why this model is so exciting. 
Well, I'm sure our listeners already have an understanding of why you were appointed by the governor to the Health Workforce Education and Training Council for the state of California. Your knowledge on value-based care, your perspective in terms of having an integrated model of care is so important. And so as you bring these principles and these observations into the council, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what insights and what uh, actions would you want from the council if you had a magic wand? Yeah, I love that question. <laughs> and we both, hopefully, we both have magic wands, right, as, as uh, members of that council. I think, um, based on some of what we're talking about with the council, as we raise issues, so in the state right now, behavioral health is, is a big topic. Throughout the country, it's a big topic, and it's something we need to address. Whenever we're talking about behavioral health, we should also have in the framing the overall health of the individual which, you know, it's not just mental health, but it's their physical health, oral health, all of their access that they have in the, in the community. So I think that's one of the magic wand pieces is that we, we always bring the conversation to a higher level that's looking at the individual and the community holistically. The other part of this that, you know, if I had a magic wand, um, I would put in there is how we talk a lot about how we finance healthcare delivery, but how do we finance healthcare education? And how are we creating a sustainable model for future generations of providers that not only continues to bring the very best and brightest to healthcare to serve our communities, but also the most diverse group and does it in a way that um, isn't going to put these large burdens of educational debt because healthcare delivery and education is expensive? How do we invest in that today that 10, 15, 20 years from now will? you know, our children or the listeners' children's children will be taking advantage of. We had in the public comments was a guest speaker from social finance and the CEO of social finance actually came on prior podcast to explain outcome-based loans as a way to do gap closure, right? Financing gap closure. And it was so wonderful for us to be able to hear about that as an innovation in uh, student financial aid programming. Yeah, I had a chance to have a nice conversation about that, the paid forward funds and the other funds that they're that they're developing there. And I'm hoping that we can create some other models looking at the state level and maybe at the federal level where we're, we're able to create Commonwealth funds for health education, where those funds, in, in addition to what we can do through the lower cost or zero interest loans to, to health education students, can we actually have a large enough investment in a commonwealth fund that spins off interest that then removes the need for those students to ever have loans and and those funds like an endowment at a university would be around forever and they would touch the lives of generations because the corpus stays and the interest is what you're reinvesting every year which frankly means that we don't have to put loan repayment programs into the budget annually and and have to continue to advocate for that at the state or federal level so it's a way that we can solve a multi-generational problem by, by making some investments today. Well, I look forward to working uh, on that issue with you on the council. As, as do I. Nadir, I want to make sure I give you an opportunity to talk about your work as chair of the American Dental Education Association. Is there anything that you'd like to spotlight there? Yeah, so um, it's a really special moment for the American Dental Education Association. We're celebrating our centennial since the founding of the organization this year. It started out as the American Association of Dental Schools, became more inclusive and broadly now as the American Dental Education Association and includes the United States and Canada. 
We have some incredible relationships with our sister organizations throughout the world, including the European Dental Educators, uh, Southeast Asian Dental Education Group, lots of lots of the others as well. As we're celebrating our centennial, I use this as an opportunity to, to reflect on where we want to be. So I'm really excited to, to be leading this project. We call it the New Thinking for the New Century Project. And we have a group of the leaders and new voices throughout our organization that are that are looking at what are the continuing and emerging issues that we need to look at broadly in dental education and oral health education to meet the needs of our students and our and our communities. So I'm really excited about that work. They'll be uh, presenting that during our annual session that'll be in Portland in March. And the theme of the annual session, I let you know, as as chair, you have an opportunity to come up with the theme. The theme is Believe I'm Possible. And what I want every student or resident or new faculty member or staff member throughout oral health care to realize that what we have access to today, not only as oral health care educators, as health educators, healthcare providers, would have seemed impossible 100 years ago. And it was the individuals that came before us, the giants upon whose shoulders we stand, that have made this possible. So I want everyone to believe that, you know, something may seem really difficult or talking about creating a large and, you know, large Commonwealth fund for the state of California or federally seems impossible. But when you do it and you take those steps and suddenly you look back, it was because individuals were able to believe in themselves and believe in the collaborative opportunities that are there. So, so I'm really excited about that. I'm, it's a privilege to serve my colleagues. I've, I've, um, been connected here with the Dagoni School of Dentistry and University of Pacific for over 30 years. And I love what I do, the, just seeing the energy that the students bring and the impact they're going to have on individuals' lives that they'll touch throughout their careers. It's, um, you know, we really, really can't imagine doing anything else. Well, thank you so much for pushing the envelope for the industry and also being a coalition builder. It's very clear that you're able to bring in so many stakeholders into the same conversation in order for us to all be rowing together. So thank you very much for your leadership. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to spend some time. And thank you for the leadership you bring and, and creating space for these important discussions. I really appreciate that. Well, I certainly learned a lot. So thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, of course. I'm Vontone Quinlevin with Futura Health. Thanks for checking out this episode of Workforce Rx. I hope you will join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Mm -hmm.